What happens when injuries result in dependence on pain medication that spirals out of control? This is Michael's story. That brought me back to using again. I continued to use for the next 30 years. It went from pills, but on the street, pills were too expensive and I moved to heroin. Uh, and I lost everything. Because of my low self-esteem, because of my guilt, because of how I hated myself, uh, my wife divorced me 12 years ago, and I just went from bad to worse. Eventually, by the end, I pushed my family away. Uh, my mom lost everything in Sandy. We lost my father in 91 at the age of 59 or 60. She moved down the shore. Her house was destroyed, so I got a bigger place so she could stay with me. And uh, whenever my family would come over to visit, I would go into the bedroom and wait until they left. I didn't want to talk to my brothers or sisters. Uh, I didn't want to talk to my daughter, who was an adult by that time. And whenever anyone called to see how I was doing, the phone would keep ringing and go on to the answering because I didn't pick up. All I did every day, I would wake up and try to survive another day. The only time I left the house was either to go food shopping for my mother, bring it to the doctors, or to get go to Newark. Eventually, I had someone deliver it for me because it was getting too dangerous to be in Newark. And so I would get spend all my money on heroin. I saved $16,000 through the divorce settlement for my daughter when she got married. When she got married, I gave her $300, Nancy, because mm. I used the rest of it on drugs. Whatever they say about addicts, there's one thing that's certain. Drugs come first. And you'll do anything to get them. And for me, and I would think for many that are addicts, you wind up feeling like you're a failure. You wind up feeling like you hate, your, uh, you hate yourself. You, you're not any good. You're not good for society or anyone else. The shame I felt and the guilt I felt was just overwhelming so that's why every day i would try to just get up and survive another day and it wasn't a, I, I didn't i no longer cared if i lived or died because i wasn't any use to anyone what would you say to somebody's family who who maybe somebody in their family is going through this with their with their son or daughter they're, they're addicted and they don't know what to do. Is there something that you could tell them that would help? For, for the family themselves, uh, I, I, I would say look in your heart because nine times out of ten, it's not your fault. The addict himself will try to, and I did this, 
will try to make you feel guilty, will manipulate, deceive, and make it feel like you failed somehow because they just want what they can get and they're not who they are. They're not who they are when they were a child. Mm -hmm. So don't feel guilty. Say, how about if someone's enabling them, like, you know, no. they're going to them for money or help or whatever. What would you say to someone? I'll, I'll, I'll give you one quick story, Nancy. Okay. There's a woman I know who loved her and her husband loved their child. He was an addict. And one day he came home, the woman's mother was living with them. And he tried to force her to give him the money she had in her bank. When she didn't, he stabbed at her death. Oh, no. And he is in prison for the rest of his life, no parole. So this woman lost her mother and her son. Now he's in prison, he's changed, but that doesn't take away the scars. Mm. Enabling is the worst thing you could do. I would go to Al-Anon or something where people could counsel you that are more professional in this area, but look in your heart because more often than not, the person who is addicted is not the person you knew you could still love them you could still help them when you can with certain things food or whatever but until they see the light it's not going to change it's their decision not what you want them to be but what they eventually will want to be now the desperation that you maybe felt, which you'll call it something else, <laughs> the, the, the desperation that you felt, um, how, how did you deal with being desperate like that? <clears throat> That's all I knew. You know, uh, it, I don't know if you ever heard of Plato's cave when Plato wrote, but he talked about people living in a cave and the light that came in, they got used to it and thought that was the light. That was the real light. It was only when they stepped outside, they saw the true sun. And I mean, S-O-N. So for me, I was, that's all I knew. I it kept getting lower and lower. I was an addict for nearly 40 years without stopping. That's long. I stopped at small period. Yeah, and I'm paying for it now, like physically, because of all I did to myself. But what, what it is is not the addiction. It's not just the addiction. It's the way your mind, and I could go over with you about transmitter nerves and how your brain changes and all that, but that's not for here. But it eventually made me so desperate and sad. That's all I knew. I woke, that's why when I woke up, 
eventually by the end, the last five years, I didn't leave my bedroom. That was my, my cellar of darkness. And I got used to it. I got used to being alone. I got used to pushing people away. And so that was my world until three, three years ago, two years, nine months. And that's when Jesus stepped in. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't expecting it. You and I spoke earlier about me studying and having certain beliefs that I no longer believe, but there was nothing to fill that. Now I didn't believe in certain things, but I had nothing to take that place. That's where the emptiness comes in. And one day I was sitting in my bedroom. For years I used to meditate uh, in the 90s and on, but it got me nowhere in the sense of emptying myself, but there was nothing to fill it. And this is, uh, I've never spoken about this. I spoke about it once at church about two years ago. Uh, but I never have spoken about it anywhere because, A, it's personal, and, B, it, it's almost, I don't want people to think it's emotional or psychological because, to me, it isn't. It changed my life. I was sitting in the bedroom. I was staring out the window at emptiness, and suddenly I felt this, this presence fill up the room, uh, something I never felt in my life, even when I was going to church when I was younger, even when I was a minister. This was different. I was at such a low stage that I didn't, I didn't recognize it. But what it was, was a presence of love. And... I could get teary-eyed thinking about it. It's like it was yesterday. One by one, all I had felt inside me for all those years, one by one, disappeared. My shame disappeared. And I was still using, mind you. My shame disappeared. My guilt disappeared. My hopelessness disappeared. My hatred of myself disappeared. My feeling of being a failure disappeared. And all that was left in that room was that love in me. And it was God's love. Yes. And that moment, my life changed. Because I realized something. I realized that God loved me even when I was doing what I was doing. God loved me and nothing, nothing can take away that love. 1 John chapter 4 verse 16 is my favorite verse in the Bible. It simply says God is love. Not God is love if you do this. God is love when you do... God is love. And that love entered my life and filled me to where 
I stopped using. I had to take steps. I went through withdrawal, all those things. Life is life. Suddenly, I wasn't healed and running through the field singing the sound of music. I had a, a tough, you know, I had to go through what I went through, but I wasn't alone in going through it. That's the big difference. And since that day, I feel, Nancy, like I wake up in the morning and he's there holding my hand. I go to bed at night and it's like that love is tucking me in. And it's with me. I look around, his love is with me. It's everywhere I go.